I'm Heath Albritton. And I'm Tim Cornwell. And this is the Clear to Close podcast. Hey, welcome to the Clear to Close podcast here with Tim Cornwell and Heath Albritton. Happy you guys are joining us today. This is our second episode. Uh, you can check us out on Spotify. Just go to Clear to Close podcast and you'll see us there. We were wanting to uh, today help help you guys out uh, with your first time home buyers and all first time home buyers out there, and just try to give you guys some pretty simple steps on what you can do uh, to prepare for your first home. So uh, we we wanted to start off, you know, going into like building your credit. You know, a lot of kids fresh out of college or out of high school, whatever. You know, the first step is is having credit and building credit. Did you want to talk about that a little bit, Heath? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And Tim, we love first-time home buyers. I mean, you know, these are folks. I love handholding these folks. You know, I mean, this is the American dream. You know, the people that have bought their fourth and fifth house. I mean, that's one thing they've been through it before. But but first-time home buyers have a special place in my heart, and uh, I love helping them out. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned credit. Credit's typically the first thing that you've got to have. And uh, there are some products out there that allow for alternative credit means, which we'll get into as well. But, mm-hmm. you know, most people are going to go out there. There's so many websites nowadays that you can actually pull your credit score on, right? Or if you have credit monitoring. And first of all, the credit scores are going to come from the three major credit bureaus. And those are Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. So that's where all the information comes from. And, you know, some of you may have a credit card, Tim. They may or may not report to all three bureaus. So that's why a lot of times you get three different scores. And what happens is we're going to pull all three scores and we're going to use the middle score. And if there are two borrowers on the loan, we're going to take the lower middle score of the two. But you know, credit is made up of four or five categories here. It's made up of payment history, which makes up 35% of your credit. And amounts owed, that makes up 30%. The length of the credit history. So the longer you have an account open, it's got more data. So it's it's more imperative. So that makes it 15%. 10% make, is made up of new credit or anything that you've done recently. Um, and then the types of credit used rem, uh, make up the last 10%. And that's revolving credit, installment credit, things like that. Um, so the important thing to remember, <laughs> the first thing is, is common sense is, Tim, pay your bills. Yep, right. right. You, you want to pay your bills and credit cards. There's a big misconception. And I've got a little trick on credit cards. So the main thing on credit cards that you don't want to do, you don't want to max out the credit card and leave that balance where it is and make the minimum payments. That's a kiss of death. So you always want to strive to keep your balance to credit limit at or below 40 percent. Now, here's my secret. Here's my trade secret. I, and I use this myself each month. Let's say that you've got a thousand dollar credit limit. Okay, and you've charged seven hundred dollars on that card, but you intend to pay it off, or you intend to pay it down. So don't wait to do that until the end of the billing cycle when they've already sent you your notice. You get your statement in the mail. Well, it's too late. They've already reported that seven hundred dollar balance against your one thousand dollar credit limit. So it's going to hit your score pretty hard. So what I say is, know when that statement end date is. So back that up a few days. Before that statement cuts and before your statement period ends, go ahead and make that payment of $700. That way, when they report, your statement comes out, they report it to the credit bureaus, well, now my balance is 200 or maybe it's zero. Mm-hmm. Now you get the benefit of having the lower balance to credit limit. So that's huge. Another thing you don't want to do, 
uh, Tim, is if you pay down a card and you plan to close it, don't close the account out. Right. Right. Because now all the history that it's had, it no longer has a history to use and report to the credit bureaus. So it's very, very important. Um, and revolving credit is the number one way to build scores. That's great if you've got a car payment. That's an installment payment. You're making those payments each and every month. It's the same. But revolving is where you show their most responsibility to show that you can actually pay more than what's due each month. So you get the best um, and the most reward when you're using a, uh, a revolving credit line responsibly. Yeah. And back to the, you know, keeping things at a zero balance or if you're paying cards off rather than closing them, keeping them at a zero balance, you know, you don't have to use that card. You can actually cut the card up, throw it away. But just leaving that credit uh, account open just does wonders for your credit. If you have a a few accounts that are sitting at a zero balance and you have a decent high limit on them, that's going to just skyrocket your score. So that's that's good advice. Yeah, and you know, don't don't be tempted if you're out there. You're at uh, if you're shopping at I don't know what some of the cool stores now. Abercrombie is that still cool? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, American Eagle, yeah. I don't know. Buckle, whatever it is. Don't be <laughs> tempted when you get to the cash register to take it. You know, open a new account to save ten percent because now you've opened up a new trade line, and that's going to have a residual effect. I mean, that's going to hit your credit because you opened up new credit. And, you know, you may have, and what they've done, they've opened up that line of credit and maybe what you just bought maxed out that credit limit. So don't be tempted to do that. I always say you need one credit card. You don't yeah. need 10. Yeah. One credit card is going to do everything. So hey, get, get some mileage, you know, get a, a credit card with, uh, with mileage and get some free flights out of it. Yeah. So Tim, the next thing are credit do's and don'ts. I think that the, the obvious thing is, you know, don't go out and buy a new red Corvette if you can't afford it, <laughs> you know? So do stay current on existing accounts. Again, make your payments, right? Don't be late on those things. Do everything you can to pay your bills on time. And do to continue to use your credit as normal. So you don't want to stop using it altogether. It's got to have some history to go off of. So use it, pay it down, use it, pay it down, or pay it off. But continue to use them. They want to see some activity on there. Um, Don't apply for new credit. And that's if you're looking to get a mortgage in you know, the next 30 to 60 days. That's what I was talking about. Don't be tempted at the, uh, at the uh, checkout counter. Don't max out your credit cards. If you do pay it down or pay it off before the, the statement cuts, don't consolidate your debt. All you're doing is moving, you know, credit from one to the other. So continue to pay on the current card that you have. Don't close the credit card accounts out. We mentioned that one. Don't do that. Keep those open. So we've got some history and, Another misconception, charge off in collections. So, you know, Tim, if I've pulled credit reports before and they've got collection accounts and people think, I'll just go pay it off today and we'll be good. Well, that, that's not necessarily true because what's going to happen is it's going to show up as a paid collection now. Mm-hmm. And it may take 30, 60, 90 days for that collection to actually, actually catch up and come off. And one thing we've got to do, make sure if you're paying off a collection, make sure that they're going to report that to the credit bureaus that you've now paid the account off and it's a zero balance. So right. And make sure you get documentation. Documentation. On that in case exactly. You have to fight them. You know, you're, you're the loan officer you work with may be able to uh, get your credit score up and have that, you know, reported correctly on your credit, but they're going to need proof of that. So yeah, absolutely. And I did mention earlier, Tim, that let's say you don't have a score. Okay. That doesn't mean we can't do your loan. There are a couple of products out there where we can build an alternate credit file. And what does that mean? Well, that means if you've got a cell phone bill, 
you've got rent, you've got homeowners insurance, excuse me, uh, car insurance, you've got utilities, you've got things like that. Well, we can a lot of times go in and get three trade lines. They have to have been open for 12 months or greater with no late payments. So there are ways we can build an alternate credit file on certain loan programs. You know, and if you if you don't even have those main ones that he had, I mean, I've seen loans go through off alternate credit with like and some type of online account that you may have, or if you're paying, you know, every month for Apple TV or something like that. I've Sometimes used a storage unit before. Yeah. Somebody had a storage unit for two years, and we got proof from the storage uh, facility that they had paid their account online, or excuse me, had paid it on time for, for two years. So that was when we were able to use. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's things that we can use that most people have. Um, and one quick thing back to the collection piece. I know, for example, you may go to the doctor one day, and have a, a $40 bill or something small. We see this all the time on the credit reports. You know, just some small collection that just, you know, didn't think about paying it, forgot to pay it, whatever. It happens to everybody. Maybe they weren't notified. Yeah, maybe they they, sometimes yeah. they're not notified. And the next thing you know, you've got a $50 collection on your credit from a, a doctor or, you know, something like that. And so it's so important to try to keep up with those things because a, a small collection, even under a hundred bucks can hurt your credit scores pretty, pretty drastically if you yeah. don't have a lot of credit and a long credit history. So for first time home buyers, it's really good to stay on top of everything you do, you know, medical wise, anything you're paying or anything you owe, try to stay on top of it. And, you know, like let's say you have a large medical bill, um, you know, a lot of times the, the, the hospitals will work with you. You could probably pay $10, $15, a month and get on yeah, a payment, get on a payment plan, plan. With, yeah. with them rather than having that go to collection. So they typically work with you, but just try to stay on top of that. That's always helpful. And Tim, the recommendation I have for our listeners out there too, if you're wanting to pull your own credit report, the best place to do that is annualcreditreport.com. You can get a copy of your a free credit report from all three bureaus. Now you do have to pay money if you want to score. Um, I think it's five bucks or something like that, um, you know, per bureau or something like that. But annualcreditreport.com is a trusty website. And, and again, you can pull an actual report on there for free. Do those, Heath, on those reports, if they pull that and they compare it to our credit pool, will those scores be pretty similar? Yeah, you know, we get that. We have that happen a lot, Tim. I'll pull a credit report and tell somebody what their score is. And they right. say, look, I just pulled mine yesterday. and was a lot higher. So here's the reason why. And that's typically always going to be the case because there's different scoring models that are used, right? So if you go on annualcreditreport.com or if you go to one of the major bureaus and pull your credit score and it's a 741 and you go apply for a mortgage and it's a 713, for instance, well, the scoring models differently. Because, you know, when you're pulling it yourself, you're, check, you're, you're just doing a self-pull and you're checking your credit. That's all you're doing. When you apply for a mortgage loan or a car or anything else for that matter, you're applying for credit. So they use a different scoring model. In that case, it looks at your credit overall history a little differently. And when it scores it, it scores it in a different way. And nine times out of ten, it's going to be lower. So one thing, you know, we hear credit karma all the time. Credit karma scores are always higher. Well, and I, I've always had a misconception or I guess a belief in that regard that, you know, they sell your information, the higher the score, the more they're going to get for it. So it seems like they end up scoring it a little higher so they can sell that to creditors. Um, but yeah, there's always going to be a difference, Tim, between a self-pull and an institutional pull. Exactly. And that's good info. I mean, the, the bottom line on this, that, that, that's great info on all the credit stuff, Heath, but the bottom line is pay your bills, 
pay them on time, pay them early if you can. Uh, keep your credit limits down below 30, 40%. If you have a thousand dollar limit, try to keep that down below $400. And that was a great uh, tidbit you had there on paying them early, paying them a week or so before they're due, just so when they report to the credit bureau, it's reporting as a zero balance. And, and that, that's huge for your credit score. So that's good info. Um, you know, another thing, we're going to try to go through three steps for the first-time homebuyers. First, we went over credit, how to build your credit, some do's and don'ts there. Now, I wanted to roll into the down payment side. It's a misconception out there that sometimes people, you know, I've had even recently people buying their first home, talking to them, and they're like, well, we can't buy right now because we don't quite have the 20% down. Right. And, you know, there's lots of programs out there, several that you don't need any money down. And a lot of them that you only need, you know, 3%, 3.5% down. So it ranges anywhere from no money down to, you know, 20%. You can put down as much as you want. But once you get to the, the reason the 20% mark is so important and people talk about it, it is if you put 20% down, you don't have to pay that monthly mortgage insurance. Yeah. And mortgage insurance, Tim, is not necessarily a bad thing. It's come down in recent years. I mean, there, there are several companies that provide mortgage insurance and that's different from your homeowner's insurance, right. of course. And what mortgage insurance um, does is, is it protects the lender, um, but it's required in the industry if you don't put 20% down. But those premiums have really come down in recent years. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. And sometimes maybe you look at it and you show somebody options. Well, you know what? Maybe maybe I'll save my money and not put 20% down, put 10% down, pay the mortgage insurance, knowing that on a conventional loan it could go away in time. Um, so maybe that's a better option for somebody. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned, you know, down payments. There are a multitude of programs out there that are available with no money down. There's a USDA program. There's VA if you're, if you're a veteran that qualifies for the VA. Um, and then there are programs out there. A very good program is THDA, which is Tennessee Housing Development Agency. And there's some grant money set aside for the state of Tennessee, Tim. And you can do it with a th uh, as little as 3% or 3.5% down. And typically you would couple that with an FHA mortgage. But right now they've got two options, Tim, where they're giving you the money for not only the down payment, but closing cost as well. Wow. So that, it's a great, a great tool. Um, and the rates are pretty attractive on those. Now, THDA sets those rates. We don't set those as lenders. Right. Um, but that's something to talk to your lender about. You know, give us a call. We're happy to talk to you about THDA and some of these other programs, obviously, um, that are available. And there's, you know, the old standby FHA loan. It's a 3.5% where the, the down payment can be a gift from a relative. It doesn't have to come from your account. Uh, and then there's some conventional loans at 3% down. Also, that money can be a gift. Um, so, yeah, you definitely don't need 20% down in today's market to buy a house. Yeah, absolutely. Heath, do you know the, the map around here in Middle Tennessee as far as – I know you can get it online, but as far as what qualifies for a USDA loan, I know if yeah. you're in Metro Davidson County, you know, I don't, I don't think you're getting a USDA loan, but a lot of the outlying counties qualify for it for the USDA loan. Also, there are some income limits. You yep. know, you can't make over a certain amount uh, to qualify for the USDA as well as the THDA. There are some income limits. But, you know, I always tell people, you know, if you're over those income limits, that's a good thing anyway. If you can't, if you don't quite qualify because of your income, you're doing pretty well there. So, um, 
Yeah, and there, you know, any of your no down payment programs, Tim, are going to have a an income limitation on them, um, right. and that's just simply they don't want somebody making two or three hundred thousand dollars a year taking advantage of a no down payment program. That's geared more towards your your first time home buyers or your low to moderate income. Um, but yeah, you can go. You know, if you go out there and look, and USDA has got to be in a designated area, okay. Um, so most people associate USDA with, you know, <laughs> beef and everything right. else, but they do right. home loans too, um, or they provide the, the, the backing for it. So if you go to USDA or Google USDA.gov uh, slash eligibility, if you know a property address, great, plug it in. It'll tell you if that property address qualifies for it. If not, you're going to look up the state of Tennessee and it's going to give you an area map. So like Tim said, it's not for your metropolitan downtown areas. It's going to be more of your outer lying areas, but sometimes you'd be surprised when you think this may not qualify for USDA. It, it will. Um, I've been very surprised sometimes when I pull, plug an address in and it does qualify for it. So your USDA is a no down payment program. It does have what's called a guarantee fee up front and monthly, but it's cheaper than mortgage insurance. And it is on there for the life of the loan. Um, but it's a strong, strong product. And I think, the, you know, Tim, like for Williamson County, in fact, I think the income has gotten all the way up to like 90-something or even $100,000 yeah, for THDA. Yeah, it's a little over 100000 Yeah, for yeah. a two- or three-family mm-hmm. uh, household. So, you know, great, great program there. But you can always Google that. Again, usda.gov forward slash eligibility, and you can pull up your income limits. And there's also acquisition limits, too. So it's not for a $700,000 home. It's going to be particular to the county that you're buying in um, as to what the maximum sales price can be on that. And that's the same for also THDA. Absolutely. So, you know, first-time home buyers, we, we went through three things here. We went through building your credit, you know, down payment, number two, and also the different type programs we have. We're always happy to go into more detail with you guys. Uh, we'll give our contact information here in a little bit into you know really breaking down these programs. Another thing that we kind of wanted to mention other than the three important steps there was you know getting with a loan officer, getting with them on the front end, making sure you're good to go with a pre-approval. Uh, being pre-approved is the most important thing for yourself, for your realtor, for everybody. That way, when you go out and look for homes, you've got the pre-approval letter right there with you and you're ready to go. You go out with confidence and you know you can buy. It's not, well, well, I hope I can get that. You're going to know exactly how much you qualify for, you know, what the maximum purchase price is, what your maximum loan amount is. Um, You should get different opinions on different type of loans. We're always happy to give you uh, different estimates, breaking down the different type of loan uh, and going through that. Another thing is, Heath, is, you know, the closing costs on a loan. People forget about that, Tim. And that's, yeah, they do. And I'm glad you mentioned it because it's, that's certainly in addition to your down payment. Now, there are several things that can be done. I mean, one option that we used to see, and we may see it again in the future, is where the seller participates in the closing cost or they can pay that for the buyer and there's there's maximum amounts they can pay but closing cost tim typically runs around two and a half to three percent of the sales price and that covers everything so closing costs prepaid items escrow amounts for taxes and insurance things like that but that is something that can be negotiated in the contract that the seller pay that on your behalf or it can be financed into the loan through what's called premium pricing so it's where the lender pays for your clo- closing costs. Well, you're technically paying for it because you're paying a higher rate. 
Right. But the lender is going to adjust your interest rate up. So if, you know, if it's maybe interest rates, not the most important thing, it's cash out of pocket. We can increase the interest rate, do a lender credit for some or all of the closing costs where you get a credit for that at closing. That way, all you're concerned with at that point is your down payment or one of the other products that we mentioned earlier that will help with not only down payment, but closing costs as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I've done, I've done several of those recently, you know, helping out because, you know, first time home buyer, you save up, save up, you got some money for your down payment and then boom, you you get hit with, you know, six, $7,000 in in total closing costs. And, and maybe in a, in a seller's market, they're not going to really want to help with that. So we come in as a lender, we might have to raise your rate by an eighth of a percent or maybe even a quarter of a percent and try to handle a lot, a big chunk of that closing cost for you. In some cases, almost all of the closing costs for you. So that's just some things that you need to think about uh, when you're talking to your lenders. Um, Also, you know, if you've never done a mortgage before, there's no reason you should know these things. That's what we're trying to help with. Um, One one thing that you want to ask your lender, because we see this every day he's literally every day we get calls from people and let's just hypothetically speaking let's say the rates at five and a half percent and we know the national average is right around five and a half we may be right around that a hair under it whatever and then somebody calls and says well i'm getting a quote at you know 4.875 percent or 4.75 percent from x lender and the first thing we ask the borrower is does that have points with it and most of the time it does which there's most people's rates are in the same ballpark in the same neighborhood when somebody's a half a percent or more better than every other lender it doesn't pass the sniff test exactly is what i say because i mean we all know the analogy if something's too good to be true it probably is i mean if tim if 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 there were a lender out there that were able to offer a half better rate than any other lender i mean i think we'd all be working there right um or I don't know. I don't know if I would want to work there because they wouldn't be in business very long. Right. Um, could that's you, just part of it. You could know? you kind of go over quickly what what a point is? Yeah. So, Tim, in most cases, so a point represents 1% of your loan amount, okay? And every day is different. Used to, years ago, you could almost say, look, one point represents a quarter reduction in your rate. Right. Some days it could be a half. It can be as much as three quarters of a point. So, and what I always say is, what is this going to cost you to do it? What does it save you? And how long does it take you to recuperate the cost of doing it? Right? So if you say, if you told me, look, I want to pay a point because I want that lower rate for bragging rights. Okay. You know, Tim, how long do you plan to be in the house? If you told me three years, three to four years, I'd say it's not going to benefit you for doing it because you're not going to be in the house long enough to get the benefit of buying the rate down. So it has to make sense. And I'm always, you know, we're always doing that. We're always going to say, does it make sense to do that? So, you know, and you don't have to pay a point. You can pay a quarter point, three-eighths, a half. And it all depends on where the market is for that day. Every day is certainly different in the market. Um, But, yeah, and, you know, again, it's different for everybody. Some days it does make sense to pay a point. If you can drop the rate a half to three-quarters by paying that 1%, and especially if the seller's contributing to your closing costs, by all means, Absolutely. Uh, let's let's do it. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, Tim, about getting pre-approved. You know, you may think your situation is golden, and I've been asked before, when should I get pre-approved? And I say now, because right. you never know what can be on your credit report that you're not, that you're not even aware of. Exactly. And you want to make sure that you've got ample time to get that corrected for when you're ready to buy. So you know, technically, your pre-approval 
doesn't go away. And we typically say it's good for 120 days only because the credit report is good for 120 days. And after that, we're going to have to pull a new report to make sure you haven't bought that new red Corvette you've had your eye on. Um, but other than that, as long as your job situation hasn't changed, your income hasn't changed, then your pre-approval is still going to be good. Maybe we update, you know, a pay stub or something like that. Um, so it's, it's not, it's not too early in the process, I would say to do that. So if you're looking to, to purchase in the next six months, even then call us today to get pre-approved. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we'd be happy to talk to you. We'll give our contact information here and kind of wrap up episode two of the clear to close podcast. I'm Tim Cornwell. Uh, you can email me at tim.cornwell at rate.com, or you can give me a call at 615-525-0900. Heath, you want to give your information? You bet, Tim. Just pick the phone up and call me at 615-347-0578. You can use this phone right here, in fact, to give me a call. Or you can find me online at heathallbritton.com. And Tim, great information today. I hope the uh, first-time homebuyers give us a call. We love working with first-time homebuyers. I like to make them a client for life and uh, to help them down the road on their next, their second, third, and fourth purchase. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Enjoyed it, Heath. That was good. And look forward to episode three here coming soon. You bet. Until next time, this is the Clear to Close podcast with Heath and Tim. Mm-hmm.